and uh, I'm going to pray for us as a group. Dear Lord, just want to thank you for yet another opportunity to teach and to get into your word and to uh, seek you what it means um, uh, to seek you above distractedness and what it means to persevere beyond those things and to keep our eyes on you uh, when we find ourselves bored or distracted or whatever it is that we can find life in you, Lord. And then we pray. Amen. All right. Here's what we'll do in this class. First, today, this is what we'll do today. And this was really important. Somebody pointed out in the last class, um, you didn't get to the point, And that's the point. Um, I want you all to realize that each class is building off the, the one before it. And for you all to get the full effect, um, be here every class. So there's a lot of content. Um, but the first class is really, really focused on distraction leads us away from the life we can find in Jesus. And so we're going to look in Scripture a lot today. What does Scripture tell us? How can we see that truth um, come to life in Scripture? Um, And oftentimes, so boredom leads to distraction, which leads to death. So that's kind of the theme. That's why this is called Bored to Death. Um, uh, When we find ourselves bored, we distract ourselves. And that, in and of itself, can lead to our own death. Second, uh, what we'll do on day two is we lack the ability to stay focused long enough on not just the right thing, but on anything. Uh, This is true for everybody, and there's a lot of science out there, a lot of brain um, science, and I'm going to reveal to you all the research that I've done uh, over that. A lot of statistics. It's actually kind of fun to see uh, what they've come up with. They've studied people for decades now, um, how we respond to distraction and what it does um, to our brains and us as um, uh, relators and people and humanity. Day three, uh, what do we need to do about it? So what can we actually do with this information? So that's really what that's, day three is going to take day one and day two and overlap them and really give you something to put in your pocket and take with you, saying, this is what I can do with this. Uh, the, there's the examples of what we'll go through. And then lastly on day four, why? Um, you can always take something um, and put it in your pocket, but if you're not convinced why you need to do that, you'll never actually pull it out and use it. So why do we need to do it? Um, and why that's important for a Christian to, to understand that our distraction leads to death. So after all the research, these are all the books I read in order to prep for this class, I found seven things that were worth noting uh, immediately. These are just seven things. Video games are actually helpful. Um, they are a helpful tool to, um, ed- like to practice in order to practice healthy distraction or healthy choice making. Smartphones should be destroyed. <sighs> Multitasking is not what you think it is. Natural is better than artificial. We kind of already know that, but like now that the brain... Studies are out there. They're saying that's more and more true as they keep looking into that. This is one I love. What you give your attention to, your brain is convinced that that is the most important thing in the world in that moment. So if you become distracted for two seconds and then go back to whatever you were doing, for those two seconds you were distracted, your brain is convinced that is more important than what you were just doing. Again, I'm not saying that that's bad. That's just what our brains are telling us. Last couple things. Distraction is normal. It's okay to be distracted. It's a normal thing um, with ourselves. And 
focusing has always been hard. So if this big book up in the left corner um, taught me anything, that from the beginning uh, of humanity and beginning of everything we know about people, uh, we've always had distractions in front of us and we've always seemed to follow those distractions. Um, why I say smartphones um, is a big distraction, that's just our big distractor of this generation. Uh, every generation has had as of a distracting thing as the smartphones have been for this generation. So. If I could sum up all the research in one movie clip, I've finished all the research and this is how I felt um, afterwards. That's the emotion I felt like when I finished all the research was we've got no food, we've got no jobs, and our pets' heads are falling off. Um, so what do we do about that? So I want everybody to stand up for a second. Uh, not for a second. Everybody move around. We're getting a little sleepy again. Um, Y'all have already sat through one class, so we're going to do a little distraction exercise. Fish or steak? I want you to sit down if you prefer fish over steak. If you live on the coast, that might be true of you. For most people, it's not. Sit down if you prefer eggs over oatmeal. Sit down if you prefer coffee over tea. Sit down if you prefer Coke over Pepsi. Sit down if you prefer juice over water. Yeah, you stand back up. If that, yeah. Sit down if you prefer white over wheat bread. Wheat. Again, this happened in the last class. If, you're, if you can't have gluten, sit down because you just need to sit down. <laughs> sit down if you prefer cake over donuts. And I know they're the same thing, but sit down if you prefer vanilla over chocolate. Sit down if you prefer ice cream over sherbet. Sit down if you prefer pork over chicken. Sit down if you prefer bacon over sausage. Sit down if you refill the toilet paper over versus under. Sit down if you put the toilet paper over 
I'm not saying. Uh, last class, everybody sat down. It was crazy, and this class was full, like to the back. All right, last one. Sit down if you listen to a song all the way through, versus you just switch to one when you find a better one. <laughs> all right, everybody can take a seat. Take a seat. If you ever want to know if somebody has a greater tendency towards distraction, notice who just stood up um, in that moment. If you tend to switch song to song based off which one is better over the other one, you, that's a sign that you are more susceptible to distraction. Again, I'm not going to say that makes you a worse person. I'm just saying... In that scenario, you are more susceptible to distraction. Uh, and we'll get into why that's true um, in a little while. But our first um, class is this. Distraction leads us away from the life we can find in Jesus. And that's the whole premise of the whole class. Uh, but in order to get to that, we really have to understand how that is true and real um, through all of Scripture. How, what you'll find, one of the major themes over and over and over again, that when God's people are confronted with being obedient to God or making their own choice in a disobedient way, um, we see oftentimes they become distracted from their goal of following um, God's plan for them. So... To practice this, I want everybody to pull out a piece of paper or whatever you're taking notes on, um, and we're going to do uh, lifelines. So this is a little fun exercise. So on your piece of paper, just draw a line. Wow. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's recorded now. Uh, on, on the ends, uh, this is birth... And this is death. No, oh, you don't know that. You don't know my, you don't know my scale yet. Uh, so, I want you, in between these lines, to put things you ideally want to see happen for yourself. It could be a job, it could be a college, it could be a character change, it could be anything. What is your ideal life looking like if you were to map it out? on this line. So take take like 20 seconds to do that. So what is your ideal life? Just put some notes on there. Give me one word. Um, just draw some lines. Okay. You don't have to overthink it. You can work on it later if you want. But if you were to look at your life, um, and if the red line is your ideal life from, from birth to death, you obviously want to follow that line as close as possible, right? But y'all are old, er, and you've already come to realize that that has not been true thus far a lot of times. So the ideal life that we want to live is that yellow line. And we often do this. 
And then as life continues on, uh, we'll all of a sudden go, boop, we'll just stop there right at the end. Okay? From birth to death, those are the two things we know are constant um, in anybody's life. Uh, but what we find out is that we, although we'll cross over our ideal life a couple of times, um, most of the time, the reality is we are not following that um, that ideal life we have for ourselves. It ends up being that. And sometimes that's for the better. Um, but oftentimes we find ourselves not in that situation. So we'll get into that later. We'll kind of close out the week and give you closure on that. But I want you all to have that in your notes so that we can look back on it a little bit, a little bit later. So this is the class. <clears throat> We're bored to death. And why is that true? Because when we, when we are bored, we tend to distract ourselves from it. Um, we tend to distract ourselves from boredom. And, and there are good and healthy ways to do that. I'm going to say that right here, right now. I'm not saying don't ever not distract yourselves from boredom. But a lot of times when we find ourselves bored, we distract ourselves with something. And a lot of times it's not in a healthy way. And in those situations, that is leading to our death. Um, but boredom is not the only thing that is a distractor for us that is leading to our death. The studies actually give us four things. Ignorance, choices, and anxiety. Um, there's class on anxiety for this very reason. John Parrott has written a book on this um, for this very reason. It's a big deal. Um, not knowing something is a huge distraction for us uh, when we're trying to make a good, healthy choice that leads us to life and not death. Um, and having too many choices is a huge distraction. So this will lead us both to a spiritual and a physical death. So we're going to go through each one of these. Uh, boredom, when we're bored, we distract ourselves from boredom. Ignorance is the leading cause of making poor choices. I can attest to that in my own life. Having too many, too many options or access to too much stuff leads to choice paralysis or increased odds of making poor choices. And anxiety, stress is a stressor. When you are stressed, you tend to stress more and it just spirals and it spirals and it spirals. Um, we don't function in our right mind. So, we'll start with anxiety. Stress is a stressor. I don't like being stressed. Any of y'all like, like being stressed? Any of y'all perform better under stress? So maybe you like parts of it. So our anxiety can and oftentimes is a distraction for us from the life that we're supposed to live towards Christ, a life that we're supposed to live towards Jesus. What do we do when we're stressed or anxious? I'm going to ask y'all. What do you do? You obsess over the thing you're stressed about, right? You what? You resort to your tics. You resort to your tics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anybody? You give up. Yeah. You go to your house? Oh, yeah, Josh comes to my house. That's what he does. 
This is uh, a few things that I've found um, and what Scripture can also tell us. We tend to lie a lot when we're stressed. And not, I'm not just saying big lies. I mean like minimal lies as well. We improvise. We panic. We're forgetful. We avoid... We avoid it. That's how I handle stress. I just try to avoid it at all costs. If something's going to make me stressed out, I'm just not going to do it. We cope with it with however way we cope with it. Um, smokers tend to go smoke. Um, that's, yeah, that's why smokers smoke. Uh, it's a stress reliever. And we tend to change. We become a different person. We're not ourselves when we're stressed or anxious. We're a completely different person from who we are. So this is what Scripture says. If you want to open up your Bible, uh, I'm in Luke 22, 54-62. We're going to be in Scripture a lot this morning. Peter denies Jesus under stress. I've, I've read this passage many times, but when you read it under the lens of anxiety and stress, it, it becomes a little bit comical uh, how Peter... Um, reacts to the situation, but this is probably how I would react to it as well, which is why I found it important for us to look at it. What Scripture tells us about our human tendency under anxiety towards our relationship with Jesus. So then they seized him and led him away, bringing in him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. Alright, we're already doing something weird. Following at a distance usually indicates something's not right, right? And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him, but he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You are also one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. So he's already noted that woman and man. That's important to say, I'm, I'm saying to all people present, men and women, usually that means all human, I'm denying Christ. I, I am saying I do not know this person. And then about an interval of about an hour. So when you're stressed and you have to wait, what tends to happen to that? You get more stressed. So it's, it's really feeding into the emotion here. He, he's already denied Christ twice under stress, and now he has to wait a whole hour, or what I tell my children, two to three episodes of TV. He's got to wait that length of time. That's a long time to just wait. Still another insisted saying, Certainly this man also with him, he, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. What did Peter do under his stress? Yes, Chris. Denying that, that he was with Christ. Yeah, yeah, he denied that he was with Christ. Was it normal for Peter to be stressed out in that moment? I said, I would be crazy stressed in that situation. So, don't, don't see it in like, well, Peter's a different person. That's how a lot of us would deal with the stress in the situation. Here's a couple of things. He forgot. 
He was forgetful of what Christ told him. Um, that you will deny me three times. And he denied that he uh, would deny. Uh, he forgot that situation. He lied. He panicked. He became distracted from what he was called to do. Jesus knew that he was going to become distracted, but that didn't change, and he told him that, but that didn't change the fact that Peter was supposed to acknowledge Christ in that moment. Here's what's really important when you're reading Scripture. Don't always just look at the person at fault or the sinner, but always look to how God responds to the situation. So, what did Jesus do when Peter got distracted? Anybody pick up on that? He looked at him. What else? Here's what I get from this. He was steadfast. He was unwavering, unchanging, he was without distraction. Guys, in your most anxious and stressful moments, think about that for a second. Whatever the most time you've been the most stressed in your life, Jesus still loves you, even though he knows that your anxiety and stress will distract you from him. He knows that. Remember as Peter remembered. That's what's important here. Remember as Peter remembered. Peter got distracted from following Christ. But Peter, in sight and response to the Lord, remembered, oh, I've done wrong. He went and wept about that. He didn't continue on denying Christ. That's what's really important here. Jesus still loves you through that. So what does it take to remember and repent? A relationship with the Lord is the most important. Being surrounded by the right people... Peter was alone in that time. He was not with the people that he knew. And be rooted in God's word. He forgot God's word. He forgot what Jesus had told him not too long before that happened. Um, Be rooted in that. Alright, that's number one. Choices. Having too many options or access to too much stuff leads to choice paralysis or increased odds of making poor choices. Who, Who can identify with that? Who's ever had a hard time making a choice? Who had a hard time coming here this week because you had another option? I did. <laughs> I, I had other options in front of me. Um, it's hard. It's hard to make choices when there's so much in front of us. So what do we do when our accessibility is too high? What do we do when we have too many choices? What do y'all do? What, who said something in the back? What did you say? Oh, yeah. What else? You narrow it down? You what? Try to do too much. Refuse to make the choice. You bored with your choices. Yeah. You become indecisive. You become paralyzed by your options. You overthink. You overanalyze. You become complacent. You just sit there and you're like, I don't know what to do. Um, you want somebody else to just make a choice for you a lot of times. Or, yeah, I just try to do everything. When I have options in front of me, I'm like, I can do it all. 
Um, that's the, the two types of people, there's two camps there, is you'll either do nothing or you'll do all things and fall under the weight of trying to do all things. So if you look into scripture, uh, we have Solomon, King Solomon, who has access to the world. Thus King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. Already right there, he's got so much in front of him. You can imagine having uh, access and excess of riches and wisdom in front of you. Think of the options he has in front of him. And the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his mind. Every one of them brought the present articles of silver and gold, garments, myrrh, spices, horses, and mules, so much year by year. The dude had a lot. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went for after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination... I always botch this word, abomination. How do you say that? Abomination, whatever. You got it. And the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord, as David his father had done. Since this has been your practice and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give to your servant, yet for the sake of David your father. I will not do it in your days, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of David my servant and for the sake of Jerusalem that I have chosen. So what did God do when Solomon got distracted? Chris, yeah. This one's a little bit harder to, to discern. He took away, right? He took away from him, yeah. He what? Removed some of the he removed some of the distraction. Yeah, absolutely. What I what I see here is he removed, he took away the distraction, but he was still merciful. Notice that about who God is. In that situation, he could have taken away everything, but he left something. God's mercy was truly evident and disciplining, and God remembered and was yet again unwavering and focused on his plan. He didn't react to Solomon in a way that changed God's plan. He said, I'm going to say so focused on what i got to do that even though you've wronged me, I still need to choose you and choose your family line to make my plan happen. So, again, what does it take to not get distracted by our options? What you see here is a relationship with the Lord, a surrounding of the right people, and the rootedness in God's Word. When Solomon reached the point of having the options of the world in front of him, he had a choice to be obedient and follow the Lord in that time. But what did he do? He followed the gods of the wives that he had. We're not going to get into why he had so many wives, What you need to focus on there is that he had an option in that time to follow his wives, gods, 
or follow God, the one who is the one that gave him all the choices and options and wisdom and wealth in the first place. And he chose to go the other way with it. All right, ignorance. I've got many stories of how this is true in my life. Um, I'm not going to tell any of those right now. Um, But ignorance is the leading cause of making poor choices. So if ignorance is a distraction for us, what do we do when we enter into the unknown? What do you do when you go somewhere you don't know or you have no um, wisdom on? Yeah. You get lost. How many of y'all are new to RYM? How many of y'all have been lost already? Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. It's like you don't know. So, we tend to guess where we need to go. You make unintentional choices. You just decide based off how you feel, not based off what's right or true. You become complacent yet again. You become dependent on other people that say they know. So somebody could say, you need to go here, but when you get there, that may still be the wrong place. Or they'll say, you need to go here, you go there, and it is the right place. You're dependent on somebody who shows that they know something. So that's why we see in Scripture, in Genesis, this is what happened to Adam and Eve. He said to the woman, did God actually say... So God told Adam and Eve something, and then some, the serpent came along and said, well... Did he actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some of her hu- to her husband who also ate. Then the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So they were given uh, a command um, to by God to follow God's command and then somebody came along and because Adam and Eve didn't know any better they chose to listen to somebody who claimed to know more who claimed to say I'm going to also lead you down the path of truth and in their ignorance they made a poor choice they became distracted from what God actually told them and what did that do that led um, to them eating of the fruit the, the the beginning of sin in this world. That led to the beginning of sin. So that, that um, distraction of ignorance led to sinfulness into the world. So what did God do? This is really important. What did God do following their distraction? He was fatherly. And this is, this is kind of hard for us to grasp, especially if um, any of y'all um, have either weren't raised by a father um, or was raised by a father that didn't reflect who God is. But as we know about what we know about God is He is the good father. He is the standard of what a father should be. 
And so when I say that he was fatherly, this is how he handled the situation. Um, when his first human image bearers were created and they wronged him and they needed to be taken care of. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. So they wronged. They wronged God. They were disobedient. They hurt God. And what does God do? He clothes them. He brings them clothes and says, let me take care of you. You you have become a victim to some sort of distraction. Let me care for you in a moment. But, this is uh, going onward. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to the guard the way to the tree of life. So, what does he do there? He removes the distraction that was there in the first place, right? So first he cares for them, he comforts them, clothes them, then he removes the distraction, and then, lastly, he says, i got to discipline you in this moment. Um, There is repercussions to the choices that you've made. For you being distracted from me, there are repercussions. I still love you and I still care for you. And I'm actually going to do the most helpful thing in this situation, which is to remove the distraction, but also to make you uh, remember that distraction, what happened between us by putting you outside of the garden where I intended you to be. So what does it take to not get distracted by our ignorance? A trust in the Creator to provide knowledge and a listening and obedience to God's Word. We need to remember what God tells us. We need to remember what Scripture has for us. How does He respond to our disobedience? How does He respond when we become distracted from our life that is meant to follow Jesus? How does He respond? Remember that. And that should change us. So, boredom. When we're bored, we distract ourselves from boredom. That's simple. Um, it's not complex. Boredom is a real thing. It's all too often. It is the most. Uh, it is the highest reason we uh, become distracted today. Um, that is not true for all humanity. We have always been equally distracted, but for today in this generation, boredom is the number one reason we distract ourselves. So, what do we do when we get bored? We avoid. Um, we avoid boredom at all costs. Who likes to be bored? Nobody. You complain? I've heard a lot of complaining already. Cope? You search. You search for whatever is going to feed what I'll call the boredom monster. We have this boredom monster that's just always hungry. We'll talk about it tomorrow. What is this monster doing to us? Um, we search for a way to feed it. Now when the earth gets bored, as we found um, in Genesis 11, the whole earth had one language and the same words. To me, that sounds boring. Everybody having the same language and the same words. Um, It sounds cool, but it also sounds boring at the same time. 
And as the people migrated from the east and found the plain of the land of Shinar and settled there, and they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick of stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. This is the only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth and left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. All right. Do you remember sitting in class and the teacher asked a request or a question to the class? Then there was the dread of waiting and anticipation to see who the teacher was going to call on. Some teachers were generous and only called on those that had their hands raised. Other teachers disregarded any hand raising and called on anyone they wanted to hear a response from. You all know the feeling. For some, you had the answers and delighted in raising your hand because you wanted to show your hard work instead. Others, you hoped not to be called on because you either did not have the answer or you were just hoping to passively sit through class and not actively engage. No matter who you were, there are reasons teachers choose to call on who they want to call. They want the entire class to engage in what is going on. They want to recognize your ability to speak wisdom to the class. They want to challenge you to grow as a person and learner. This type of calling on students is not far removed on how God calls out His people. After Noah stepped off the boat after the flood, it did not take long for him to step right back into sinfulness. Still, God took further measures of redemption. He calls on Abraham to carry out His will. Abraham was not someone who had his hand raised in class and was hoping that God called on him. Instead, Abraham is simply a participant of creation that God decided would carry the seed of the road that would lead back to full redemption. What is important in any relationship is that when someone calls on you, you have a choice to respond. In any healthy and obedient relationship, the one called on does respond. In the case of a relationship with God and humankind, God always does the calling, and humans are expected to respond. But we know that is not always the case. Otherwise, we would not be considered sinners, or people in need of a savior, or needing redemption. Before Abraham and God's calling Abraham, there was a society of people that sought not to respond to God's call, and instead only desired to answer to themselves. Many of you probably know the story of Abel. These people wanted to unite and build a tower among the gods, not to be close to God, but to replace God. This type of response was not an obedient response on the people of God, called on by God. So God dispersed these people. When God called on Abraham, he was looking for obedience and faithfulness, not an equal. He was looking for someone to bear his image, not replace it. In Babel, they sought to build God out of the world. God instead wanted to build a nation that will represent him. 
The story of Babel pinpoints the focus of man's problem when they built a tower and centralized their thinking. They were seeking to grow man in man's image. As God scattered the people and confused them, it was to readjust their focus, not on themselves and what they were capable of, but he wanted them to rely on their creator and seek relationship with him. The very things that Babel coveted was given to Abraham because of the contrast of relationship. It is from that obedient relationship with God that God used to plant a seed. A seed that would develop into a nation. A nation that was called to be an example. A representation of who He, Yahweh, is. He would take this nation and put them at the crossroads of the world so that no one would miss out on experiencing and knowing who He is and He sought to do it through His people. And from these people, a king would one day be born and rise up to his throne and perfectly bear this image and live out exactly as God called him to be. So you see in that story all those people became distracted. They were very capable. Nothing was, as we saw, nothing was going to be impossible for them. And what we see from Scripture, that's not the point. The point, as we saw in the video, is that the point is to be obedient and to follow God's call for our lives. So that lifeline that you've made is meant to follow the lifeline that God has for you. So whenever you become distracted... It is always good for us to find ourselves in Scripture to see how others have become distracted and how we can come back to the plan that God has for us. We actually lack the ability to focus long enough on anything. Um, So we have to become reliant on other things to help us overcome this. And Scripture is a good indicator of that. What we'll do tomorrow is we'll actually look at the science and how um, this is true for us in the brain um, and how we can overcome it and why this is true and how do we overcome is really, really important for us to, to actually look at what the brain is actually doing when we become distracted. So we'll look at a bunch of statistics um, with our smartphones and our leading causes of distraction for the four reasons um, and we'll, we'll overlay that with what Scripture has taught us today so that our distraction leads us away from God, it's important for us to come back to that. So we'll get into that tomorrow. So thank you.